The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, race to the close. We'll see about that. Let me tell you what we're really going to be talking about. Closing the books and creating financial reports are nothing new for your company. They've been doing it since the beginning of time. But with the pace of business accelerating like never before, finance has new challenges like this. They got to deliver faster, more reliable, more visible results, and still keep up with regulatory compliance. That's a big challenge, a lot on the plate. Recent surveys show that fewer than 10% of companies rate their ability to close, improve the close as superior. They're not where they want to be. More than 70% consider continuous improvement for the close in their top three priorities. Question of the day, is this keeping your CFO awake at night? A lot to consider. I have a panel of three experts who will address this expertly, of course. First up on the panel is Wendy Reinitz. She's the Director of Professional Services for Performance Analytics, and Wendy sent me the following quote from Indira Gandhi. Quote, there are two kinds of people, those who do the work and those who take the credit. Try to be in the first group. There's less competition there. Love the quote. Welcome, Wendy Reinitz. How are you today? Great. How are you, Bonnie? Very well, thank you. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Calgary, Alberta. Oh, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. So, Wendy, talk to me. Interesting quote from Indira Gandhi. Why did you pick this quote, and why don't we relate it to our topic about financial close? Talk to me. Well, first of all, I think that competition is necessary in business, so I wasn't trying to to take that away from business in general. But I think Mm -hmm. nowadays, um, as far as the close goes, there are many people involved, not just the CFOs. You know, disclosure checklists and sub-certifications are being pushed right down to the manager level, um, you know, for personal liability sign-off. So I just wanted to to say that, you know, this close actually goes down quite significantly in the organization today. So who is doing the work? Let's go back and pull apart a little bit the words, the wonderful words of, of Ms. Gandhi. So who is doing the work and who's taking the credit, Wendy? If you can, can share that with us without insulting too many people. Who's doing what? <laughs> who's doing what to whom, for whom, and taking credit for what? Talk to me. Well, I think that there's a lot of analysts doing a lot of the work. I mean, a lot of analysts are putting into the processes nowadays that support the close. Um, and it starts right down at that level. I mean, if you don't understand at that level, you know, what goes on in a close and how can you actually follow the process that is put into play. Now, you know, the CFOs necessarily, you know, don't necessarily take all of the credit for it, but they certainly get all of the blame for it as well when things go wrong. 
So there's two parts to being at the top. One is getting the credit, one is getting the blame. I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Wendy. Good start to our topic. Let's turn now to panelist number two, Gabe Zubizarreta. He's the CEO of Silicon Valley Accountants. Talk about being in the trenches. And he sent me the following, what I'll call a combo quote. According to Peter Drucker, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. But Gabe adds, if you can't see it or measure it, then you can't manage it. Gabe, talk to me and welcome. Where are you calling from today? I'm actually calling you from uh, Puerto Rico today, so we're out here in the beautiful, beautiful island. Glad. That was a surprise trip, right? You weren't planning to be there when we talked last. It was, it was a surprise trip, uh, working with a client on their, on their accounting clothes. Okay, well, well, well. How about that? Talking, speaking of the devil of the topic. So, Gabe, you've combined some words with Peter Drucker with some some words from Gabe. So, talk to me. What is? How does this relate to our topic? Well, the close is constantly changing. Um, if it were, it's it's not like AP. AP, you can pretty much map out on a chart where everything could go, will go, and et cetera. Um, the close is constantly changing. So not only do you need to be able to see it, but you also need to be able to see it change. You need to be able to see it adapt. Um, if we acquire a company uh, next month, you're, uh, you're changing the map on that close. You're back, to, uh, you're back to a lot of manual processes to put those together, and probably for the next several months, you're doing, you're doing um, integration, and that's constantly changing again. So you've got to be able to see it, measure it, and monitor it because it's going to be moving around. Um, it's, a, it's a rather dynamic process. It's where all the change in accounting and finance hits, um, and then slowly but surely you'll automate and put it into systems. But first you're going to come through the close, through your people, and that little dynamic process really needs to be not only understood, but as I said, measured and monitored. Gabe, I want to ask you to hone in on the phrase you added to Mr. Drucker's quote. You say, if you can't see it, how would they not see it? Do they not know what to look for? Let's just talk specifically about in the eye of the beholder, if you will pardon me that expression. Who needs to see it and what can't they see? What won't they see? Well, it's actually quite interesting. Um, Everyone needs to see the clothes from a different side. If Mm. I'm one of those analysts, I might need to see the clothes in what I'm doing. If I'm a manager managing five or six analysts, I need to see the clothes from who's falling behind. Uh, if I'm a CFO, I might want to see the clothes as in an overall process or maybe my worldwide clothes. So, for example, we have a close where there's 170 different people involved in the close, 17 mm. different regions, 24 different companies, and about 6,000 activities. So that's being looked at by a lot of different people in a lot of different ways from a lot of different levels based on what they need to get accomplished. Very, very well put. Thank you. Great insight. Uh, No pun intended, seeing an insight. But quick question for you before we turn to our third panelist, Gabe. Is this keeping CFOs awake at night? 6,000 processes, 170 people, a lot of viewpoints, a lot of experience perspectives, a lot of deadlines. Is Are CFOs sleeping at all anymore? Um, you know, somebody, somebody's being kept up. I don't know if uh, we tend to call them MRC, <laughs> the most responsible for the close. Whoever okay. it is that's sitting on that hot seat, if something goes wrong, whoever it is is going to get that call. Sometimes it's the CFO. Sometimes it's people underneath them. It might be an assistant controller, a director of financial reporting. Somebody or some group of people is concerned, and generally they don't find out until something's gone wrong. 
Thank you very much. That's good to know as well. And I'm going to bring on our third panelist. It's Elizabeth Millen, Manager of Accounting and Financial Close Portfolio for SAP Product Marketing. And she's today quoting Stephen Covey, or Covey if you prefer. Here's the quote. A cardinal principle of total quality escapes too many managers. You cannot continuously improve interdependent systems and processes until you progressively perfect interdependent interpersonal relationships. We're back to the people part. Elizabeth Milne, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Interesting quote from Stephen Covey. And why don't you relate that to our topic? Then if you want to tie it back to what Wendy and Gabe introduced, uh, be my guest. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, there's three aspects of the financial close process. There's the, the people, the process, and the technology. And I think all too often it's that, that people aspect of it gets overlooked. I mean, I'm with SAP and we're our software provider, and certainly the technology aspect is important for me. But if, when we're talking with our customers, if we don't address all three things together, then we know that they're never going to end up being successful. And from what Gabe was saying, 170 people working on it, you need to work on those the dynamics between all of the people that are working on the clothes and being able to communicate effectively. I had, a, I had a customer that I worked with a while ago, and it was funny because it was actually the U.S. office and the U.K. office who had the most mm-hmm. difficult time communicating to each other. I mean, you'd think that it would be what, different countries that have different languages, but that's not always the case. It's just a different style of, of different people working. So it, that's a, it's a huge part of the clothes that, that sometimes gets overlooked. So that's why I thought that quote was very appropriate. (laughs) Very appropriate, bringing in the people side. Now, who would be the one to work on these interdependent, that's a big mouthful, interdependent interpersonal (laughs) relationships, OMG. Uh, Who would be the one? Is this something that happens from the office of the CFO saying, we got to get these teams together talking the same language? Is this something that happens from an HR perspective? I I, I hesitate to even bring that in. (laughs) So who's the one who says, the people aren't getting it, they're not looking each other in the eye, and these hundreds 70 people in these 6,000 plus processes, it's not going to happen unless we, we get married to talk to Bob and so-and-so. Who actually drills down to the relationship level, Elizabeth? Well, I mean, I, just to lean on what Gabe was saying is whoever that MRP is, that most responsible person. So, mm-hmm. and depending on what the size of your organization it is, it might be the controller, it might be the CFO, or it could be a number of different people, but definitely whoever's at the top really needs to put focus on it. I think just from a leadership aspect in general, that if you don't have that most responsible person saying the close is important and making making it an issue that everybody should pay attention to and have that executive sponsorship aspect of it, then you know being able to manage the close and improve on it rather than doing it the same way you've always done it is never going to be addressed. So Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just that most responsible person, definitely. I think their responsibility has just escalated. I think we ought to get them a raise. Guess what to my panel? Dear panelists, Wendy, Gabe, and Elizabeth, I have a very tough question for you because our show, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, is part of our Umbrella Series Coffee Break with Game Changers. You know what's coming next. What's in your cup today, or what do you wish you were drinking if there's nothing exciting in the cup right now? Wendy Reinitz at Performance Analytics. Talk to me. What's in your cup today, Wendy? Um, a grande decaf non-fat latte. Mm. Is that does that have a name brand on it? Yeah, it's a Starbucks. However, I, I, do, ha- I do have a funny yeah. story, and I and I yes. ordered this once in an, in a quite a nice restaurant, and the waiter turned around and looked at me, and he said, "You want a why bother?" 
<laughs> and what, what exactly did he mean by that? No caffeine and non-fat <laughs> milk. <laughs> I love it. That's what when I order my uh, my mocha, my mocha tall decaf fat free with just a, a hint of whipped cream on the on the top. They look at me like, really? You're going to really give something of value with the whipped cream, and you don't want the fat, and you don't want the caffeine. What do you think? I'll remember that, Wendy. That's a great story. Gabe Zubazaretta calling from Puerto Rico. May I ask what's in your cup today, Gabe? I uh, I was. Uh as as you do when you travel, I went to Starbucks also, so I have a uh, a large cafe latte in the uh, in there. But uh, when you're sitting on the plane, you make sure that they double the uh, double the espresso. So large latte, double uh, double the caffeine. Oh boy, you're loaded. Okay, that's good to know. So high test for Gabe. Good to know. Elizabeth Milne, what are you drinking today? I am drinking Carnival Jam tea that I got in St. John's, actually. I uh, do a lot of traveling, and I love to drink tea. And I have a whole bunch of mason jars that are set up in my kitchen that have teas from all over the world. And today, I was feeling St. John. <laughs> How wonderful. What's the flavor? Carnival Jam sounds interesting. Yeah. What does it taste Carnival like? Carnival Jam. I think it's supposed to be maybe like Carnival, maybe. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But what, it's very fruity. It's uh, yeah, very islandy, fruity type of a thing. Delicious. Very interesting. Is it is it uh, herbal or is it does it have a little bit of a kick, a little caffeine it punch to it? It has a little it? bit of a kick in it. Can't drink. I'm, I'm, I I need my caffeine. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm glad you're going to need it for the conversation because we're going to take a break right now, and then when I come back, Wendy Reinitz, Gabe Zubizarreta, and Elizabeth Millen are going to launch with me into a 30 minute nonstop roundtable. So they're going to put their seatbelts on right now because we're going full tilt here. We're talking today about financial closing and reporting, keeping up or raising. Facing with change. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to us live. It's Monday, April 7, 2014. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. And we want to thank CFO Knowledge. That's Chris Grundy for tweeting alongside of us while we're talking, capturing the words of wisdom of my guests. I'm going to tell everybody, don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. Michael, our engineer, is going to take us out. We'll be right back in about 90 seconds. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's risk and finance solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com from the boardroom to you voice america business network 
Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are in the pursuit of financial excellence with my three panelists, Wendy Reinitz at Performance Analytics, Gabe Zubazaretta at Silicon Valley Accountants, and Elizabeth Milne at SAP Product Marketing. Let's kick off our roundtable segment with Wendy Reinitz. And Wendy, I'm going to ask you to talk about something you sent me before the show. Very interesting. We're bringing in the words regulations and bringing in the concept of looking back over our shoulders. Historically, you told me, Wendy, in today's world of increased regulations, executives are increasingly more nervous about their financial reports than they once were. And not only that, in a significant number of companies, the actual close cycle takes longer than it did five years ago. I thought we were racing and moving ahead with change and speed, Wendy. How could it take longer? Why don't you start us off, please? Well, I think it's taking longer because there's more demands. Um, As the demands increase and the regulations get tighter, um, you know, you want to incorporate all of those into your close cycle. And so when you start incorporating these in there, things take a, a little bit longer. Now, it doesn't mean that they necessarily should take a little bit longer, but I think when you, when you put that around with the fact that CFOs are now a lot more nervous about their financial statements, um, you know, they want to take the scrutiny and they want, to, they want to look at the financial close and they want to be able to take the time in that period of time to be able to make sure that things are being dealt with properly. Um, I'm not sure if this is necessarily, you know, um, the right thing to do to have that scrutiny there. I think the scrutiny belongs further back in the process, but I think that it's showing up in the actual closed cycle. Interesting. And what does this do to the workloads of the people involved, the ones who are responsible to making it to the finish line, Wendy? Well, I think that in Gabe's, um, you know, in Gabe's example, the 170 people are working a lot harder in that, in that specific period of time. Um, you know, in a lot of organizations, it isn't that many people. It's, it's the corporate reporting um, group. It's a, it's a smaller amount of people in relevance to the company size that are taking that time and, and actually having to put the work in in that period of time during the close, in those, you know, five to seven days, working days, however long it is that it's taking them to actually close. So I think that that work needs to be pushed back further in the process. Mm, interesting. Thank you, Wendy. Gabe, I'm going to, since we've been uh, talking about you, let's bring you in on this. But Gabe, in your notes, you used something a little different than the word nervous, Wendy used. You said many CFOs are afraid of their account close and financial reporting. So we've gone from nervous to afraid. I, I read sleeplessness between the lines, whoever the most responsible person is. Talk to me, Gabe. Please comment on what Wendy started. Right. Well, let's let's address the afraid. Um, when I say afraid, what I mean is this. Many CFOs have inherited their clothes. It mm-hmm. works, um, but they haven't taken the time, nor maybe should they, but they don't know all of the details. Imagine a close with even just a thousand steps. So you've got maybe, you know, we, we average it out to about 50, uh, 50 steps per person is what our research shows. So let's say you've got 20 people that are working on something. You're a new CFO. You come into a company. It works. You know it works because you're getting the reports, but you're not exactly sure how it works. Then changes start happening. You're being asked to deal with larger, with larger and higher level issues, and you don't want to go down and start changing things at the detail level because you just 
you don't understand it, you haven't worked it at that level. So when I say afraid, it's they don't want to mess with it because you've got something that works. Mm -hmm. It may not work as well as you'd like, and then it starts working a little less good, but you don't have the time, you don't have the bandwidth to go down and understand exactly what to change. And so you don't want to, you don't want to start twisting dials if you're not sure how that, how that goes. The needs keep getting greater. We have, uh, you have CFOs that are, you know, the business is changing faster. Everybody wants more information. The more you give them, the more they want. The PCAOB has put a lot of pressure on, on review standards. How do you know that the numbers are right? What are you doing from an internal control perspective? That stuff. COSOs come out and said you've got to, you've got to line up your, your assertions differently. A little more refinement there. We're about to see changes in revenue recognition. Something that's going to affect companies all over the spectrum. Your revenue is going to be de- recognized under a different set of rules, and that's affecting everybody. And we're going to what's called principles, more principles-based accounting. So the rules aren't going to be as clear, and there's going to be more subjectivity, which means people are going to be second-guessing you, primarily the auditors, but others also. And you're going to be judged competitively against other companies. So you've got things hitting you from all sorts of different sides, Usually you're used to dealing with them one at a time, and now you're being forced literally to deal with them all at the same time. So it's, a, Sounds, it's an interesting, an interesting yeah, backdrop. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Thanks for painting that picture. It sounds almost a little frantic, and no wonder there, if they weren't nervous before, they will be afraid now, it sounds like, Gabe. Elizabeth Mill, why don't you join this party and talk to us about your thoughts, uh, what we've been discussing, please. Yeah, I think it's a nervous and afraid part of it is that it's, it's increased accountability. I mean, after the fall of Enron and the financial statements that were out there that just were, were just not true, then all of a sudden the regulations came around that people are going to be really held accountable for the numbers that they report. So I think that that accountability aspect of it is really what adds to that nervousness and, and being afraid as well, too, that they have to have the trust and the confidence in the information that they're looking at. And so then back to what Gabe was saying, they need to know what's going on with all the different steps. And as the, as the main person in charge, you're not necessarily going to know all of that. So I think that, that <clears throat> being able to not know what's going on and then know that you're also being held accountable for it is, makes people nervous and afraid. Absolutely. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm going to turn this into a a slightly different segue. I'm going to take another path. I want to cover a lot of ground during our roundtable segment. Gabe Zubazaretta, you sent me a note about the importance of training in the accounting and finance departments. Departments are acknowledging it, and it's even greater a need in the times of change, which we're experiencing right now. But is everybody doing it, or are the big companies the only ones who can afford to provide professional education and training to help their people through these massive closing processes? Gabe, why don't you start us off with this? Well, this is, uh, as as Elizabeth mentioned, this is about people, process, and technology. Mm -hmm. And on the people side, um, everybody will tell you how important training is. And then you can ask them, so how much training have you guys done in the last 12 months? Um, unfortunately, with many of them, the answer is literally none. Uh, very little uh, is the other group, and nobody feels that they're overtrained. And the busier they get, the more need there is. Unfortunately, the less time there is. So I think every accounting department would tell you that they are under training. Um, there's been economic pressure. Uh, it's generally the first thing they get cut from the budget. Uh, there's there's been a lot more turnover. Uh, they're busier, and and they keep cutting and cutting and cutting training. Um, and unfortunately, it's hard to have your people get better if if you're not giving them the training. So it's an unfortunate reality of the of the harder times we've gone through. 
that the need for training has increased a lot and the actual uh, performance of training at big, medium, and small companies has gone, has gone way down. Gabe, is it something like what we used to call trial by fire, put them into the fray, put them in the kitchen where the stove is on, the heat is hot, the oven is burning, and see if they can do it? We used to, used to also call that OJT on-the-job training. Is that all there is right now for most companies? It, for most companies, that's, that's, that's what there is. Um, unfortunately, as the average tenure of employees keeps going down, uh, there, there's more turnover. Um, it gives you departments with a greater diversity of corporate backgrounds. Um, you know, your departments are, are having more people coming from different companies. Um, it's hard to have somebody that doesn't, maybe hasn't grown up in your organization, mm-hmm. uh, two or three year person training a brand new person. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't lead to the results that you would like to have. So it's an, it's an unfortunate dynamic that OJT is even being less effective at this point. Wow. And one more question for you, Gabe, before I bring Elizabeth and Wendy into this conversation. My question is, does this drill down into training when somebody is learning to be an accountant, a CPA, CMA, whatever the, the degree or the stature is they want to achieve professionally when they start their career in finance? Does this go back to the MBA program? Does this go back to whatever kind of college training they have? Could it be picked up, the slack that's missing in the absence of corporate training, could that be picked up at the pre-job education level or not? Gabe, what do you think? Well, actually, I spent some time with universities, and uh, both at the undergraduate and graduate level, doing some training for them. Um, most of the businesses would tell you that what we're getting out of colleges and universities is not as applicable today um, to what's happening in the business environment. So, so unfortunately, that gap is probably even growing more um, in that in the kids coming out of college are not um, having the, the applicable skills that that are more uh, necessary in the in the world that we're going towards. So so the colleges and universities have recognized this to a certain extent. I think they're trying to react, but the world is changing so quickly that uh, that I think that that gap has grown. So we get kids out of school who really need to be um, trained OJT, and again, mm-hmm. it, it puts even more pressure on on what we're doing. So the need for training at the corporate level and the need for that get, for bridging that gap between the university and the practical world is uh, both of them need to be addressed. Thank you, Gabe. Elizabeth Millen, why don't you chime in here? I know you, because of your people processing technology, you want to focus on people. So what are you observing? Agree with Gabe? Disagree? What's your vantage point from SAP? Well, I, I agree definitely on the training thing, but I think that it's not only training on on specific accounting or something like that that you could get in school, but the thing that's going to be challenged is going to be whatever specific to that particular organization. I mean, with the years of consulting that I've done, every single client thinks that they're unique and different, which is interesting, and most of the time that they are. So, I mean, and the training isn't, you know, I think that more of the training needs to focus on the actual process itself and having people understand it. I mean, simple things like having a standardized chart of accounts and being able to educate all the 170 different people to all agree that this is what you put in this account and this is what you put in that account. Because otherwise, when you're doing a consolidation, if you don't have apples and and apples, then you're going to have apples and oranges, and then all of your chart of accounts will be all over the place. So I think it's that aspect of the training that's most important, that everybody has a, a training or more so like an agreement, if you will, on exactly what everybody's doing so that they can all be working on the same page. Thank you, Elizabeth. Wendy Reinitz, I know you want to add to this. What do you think? Well, what I think is, is actually I want to circle back on both what Gabe and Elizabeth said. So mm-hmm. Elizabeth said every company thinks that they are unique. And I want, to, I want to take that a step further and say that 
the accounting professionals nowadays and the IT professionals nowadays, in my opinion, they also think that they're unique. So to get that gap, to bridge that gap between the IT professionals and the accounting or, um, professionals um, mm-hmm. is difficult. So to what Gabe was saying, yes, I mean, I think that there needs to be more focus in the actual accounting um, degrees, professional designations, whatever it happens to be, on technology. Because when accountants are getting out of um, obtaining their designations, they're coming out and they're, they're thinking debits and credits, but when it really comes down to it, every single organization has an IT department and a process and a system that needs to be run, and they, thought, or they find themselves in this world that they weren't prepared for. So even though every company thinks that they're unique, there's definitely the uniqueness at the accounting and the IT level that need to be brought together as well. So we don't want to make anybody feel insulted that they're not special, but they may not be. Okay. <laughs> um, Elizabeth, I want to go in a slightly different direction with something you sent me before the show. We're going to turn to the T part of people processing technology. Let's talk about technology. And you say the value of speed in a financial close process is faster access to information to make better decisions. How is this happening today, Elizabeth? What what technology is assisting the process or even what technology is not there yet, not assisting it well enough? What do you think? So I like things in threes. <laughs> and, uh, so mm-hmm. automate, standardize, and centralize, right? Those three aspects of it. As you're looking at the process, anywhere that you can automate, there's tons of manual journal adjustments that are done. I mean, because that's the way it's always been done before, but certain things that can be automated. So anywhere where there's a recurring journal entry or something in that area, any time that you can automate a process that somebody's doing manually right now from a technology aspect of it, that's something to look at. I think also on the standardizes back to what I was talking about, why a standard chart of accounts and those types of things, and then um, and then centralized. So a lot of larger organizations are coming up with a shared service department that can help manage this, right? So the more that you can pull it together and try to make it more simple as opposed to having everybody in every different country doing something different, standardize them on one tool. In a, in a utopian world, you'd be on one general ledger system. You can't always do that. but And then, <clears throat> yeah, centralize standardize, automate wherever is possible. And I think that's where the, the technology aspect really comes in and adds, adds value. Thank you, Elizabeth. Gabe or Wendy, you're both who wants to add to that, please. So I'll, I'm going to take a shot at adding to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to add one more, which is optimize. And for, you normally all start off with optimize, standardize, centralize, and automate. So slightly different order, but totally agree with the standardize, centralize, and automate but I want to optimize it first, uh, make it really effective and inefficient, and then figure out a lot of people are, are not are, are automating things before they've really got them well understood, and then they're just causing mm-hmm. themselves more work. And then all of that needs to be made sustainable. Um, there's going to be change. Elizabeth touched on it. You could get the perfect systems, processes, and people go through a major acquisition, and all of a sudden you're adding something different. You're adding an orange and an apple at the same time, you got to figure out, do you, want, do you want to get everybody to go apples? Do you want to get everybody to go oranges? Or are you all going tangerines? Um, so there's going to be change, and you've got to figure out how you make it sustainable. Um, so totally in agreement with, with Elizabeth, and then adding that optimization and that sustainability. Thank you, Gabe. Wendy, I want to bring you in, but I want to add one of your talking points on technology. I think it's an interesting segue from what Gabe and Elizabeth have been talking about. You advise companies 
buy the technology that you need, not the technology you think you can afford today. And then you add decision process and budget can make it hard for complete adoption of new technology. So let's talk about how does a company know what they need, even if they can't afford it? How do they find the money for that? And then how do they get the adoption? So please take us in that more, that further direction on that technology part. Wendy, you first, then Elizabeth. Well, I think that, that, I mean, budgets obviously are um, very important in the decision when you're looking at technology. However, I think, that, I think that you need to look farther in advance. So, I mean, you have to think about how you're going to expand and how you're going to grow, you know, in, in the greater future before you make your decisions. Nowadays, you may have a budget of, um, you know, X amount, but this technology is going to be yours and it's going to be there for, for the longer haul. So you need to factor that into your decision um, before you actually make the decision. I mean, what you can afford today isn't going to be exactly what you need if you plan on growing and expanding your business. So that's knowledge. Is for, we need foresight. We need to be able to look down the road. Elizabeth, what do you think? No, I think it comes when implementing like a consolidation system or something like that, you need to keep the the future in mind and design things. One of the things that used to frustrate me more than anything during an implementation is you go in and then you start analyzing the requirements and they're like, well, here's this massive Excel spreadsheet. We would just want to create that in the new consolidation system. It's like, well, and back to Gabe's point, you know, that's not optimizing it. That's just automating. It's uh, something that you're doing manually right now. So I think that all too many times people don't try to look at the bigger picture and they just want to automate and take exactly what they have now and then redo it into a, you know, a consolidation system or anything like that. And that's not where you're going to get the value at all. So, I mean, there's certain things that will it'll create some speed as well too, but if the, <clears throat> you're just doing what you're always doing and just doing it a little bit faster, I'm not sure there's a huge amount of value in that. So, a matter of really, you know, looking at, at the different levers and everything that you're putting into it and seeing how that you can do it better and not just do what you've always done, but now do it on a new system. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. Gabe, I want to bring in another talking point also related to technology, an interesting uh, question you actually asked before the show, and let's, let's see if we can find the answer. The question is, we'll pose this to our listeners as well as to the panel, what percent of features and functionality of your existing technology systems and applications would you estimate are being used fully by your accounting teams? Gabe, what have you observed? So when I ask this question, I talk to people and say, and, and ask that, just, you know, what percentage of what you already mm-hmm. have deployed are you really fully utilizing? And I would tell you that, that the best ones are at 50 to 70% and that there's a lot of people who say, yeah, we're not even using half of what we could be using. So this goes back to, to the training subject. Um, I, you know, let's say you've had SAP. Um, it's, a, it's a great system. It does a ton of things. Are you really using it to the maximum level? And the chances are that when you implement it, you didn't know everything you needed. Um, they've added a lot to it. You may have upgraded it several times through your, through your maintenance agreements. And did you take advantage of those things? And this goes back to that training. Also, maybe you have a new need that has come up that your software could do, but you didn't have that need when you implemented it. So I think it's extremely important that when you're looking at technology, you're constantly fitting it and refitting it and readjusting it to the changes in your business and that you're getting the most you can. And then in the close, for example, SAP has 11 different modules that are pointed towards the close at least. Um, And which of those are the next best need that you need to put in? Um, And that might expose that you need another one and, and, and sort of, so it's like an evolving 
an evolving need as you go along, training, tailoring, putting it in, that's what's going to get you to, to where you need to go on there. Um, and it's going to take care of what you talked about before, which is the adoption. As you're better fitting this to fit your people, to make their lives easier, to make them more effective, to make them have more value, they'll get more engaged and they'll, and they'll adopt further. Thank you, Gabe. Wendy, I want to hear your perspective on this as far as using what you have versus what we were talking about a moment ago with you. What do you invest in, even if you can't afford it, that will help to anticipate your future clothes needs? What do you think? Actually, I just want to go back to what Gabe was saying there, and I want to add on to that. Um, In a perfect world, that sounds great, but in a perfect world, you need the time and you need um, you know, great support to be able to get to that 100% utilization of your system. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, as things get upgraded and as processes change and as things change in the accounting world, unless you've got a really good relationship with other parts of the company to be able to, to actually, first of all, recognize that these things have been offered to you and then leverage them, you're not going to be able to take advantage of getting that 100% um, efficiency out of your software system. So, again, it comes back to relationships and I'm going to say again between the accounting and IT department because that's really key um, as technology progresses is to make sure that those two relationships are in sync so that you can utilize and you can get 100% um, out of your systems that you have currently. Gabe, you want to come I, back? I totally agree with her. I think that you, you, can't, you can't be working in an accounting silo and have all your people siloed and just, as, as Elizabeth said, doing things the way they've always done them, just staying in their little silos. You've got to build those relationships. You absolutely need to partner with IT to understand what's going on with the systems. You have to partner with the business. What is it that's driving to make us more money? What is it that's driving uh, us in the business world so that we in accounting and finance can better support your future needs? We're always reactionary. You guys did what? When? Oh, now you're going to backfill. No, we've got to get there. We've got to be the whole challenge to accounting and finances. You've got to be at the table. You've got to be business partners. You've got to be looking forward. You've got to be anticipating needs, especially with the speed that things are changing. So, yes, we need to we need to do this, and I completely agree that you have to have those relationships and that you may never get to 100% of your software system, but you have to be striving towards there because it's going to give you, it's going to give you that ability to understand what you can do with what you have and then what you need to add to it. Thank you, Gabe. Elizabeth, you want to chime in with some insights further on that one? I do. I, I was thinking about that features and functionalities aspect, right, and being mm-hmm. able to, to leverage those. And I can tell you a funny word that we use in the software business is that we call something shelfware. And that's a combination of software that you put on your shelf, right? So that's software. Mm-hmm. That's shelfware. And so it's not only features and functionalities of software that you're already using, but a lot of times these big organizations, when they buy a bunch of software, they end up getting a bundle or say, oh, let's throw in this extra one for free. And half the time the businesses don't even know that they own the software, which is just just crazy. I mean, from a, from a software vendor, it's great that we can sell the software, but if people aren't using it and sharing their stories, right, then so shelfware is a, is a bad word all around, and it's bad for the software provider, and it's also, it's, it's even worse for the, those organizations that are out there who own software that, that they don't even know. And then you get into some of these larger organizations as well, where one business division is using one thing, another business division is using another thing. So that's back to my standardized comment as well, too, that as much as you can, you should be able to 
leverage across your different business units and, and divisions and find out how everybody else is doing it. Because, I mean, and it's, it's training, but it's, more, it's also knowledge sharing at the same time. So understanding what, what your different entities and what the different people are doing so that, you know, you can leverage from a best practices standpoint and use all the software that you own and use it to its fullest potential. Thank you, Elizabeth. And, you know, we're going to take a break in about four and a half minutes, but I have one more topic I'd like to cover before we go to our predictions round. We call that the crystal ball. And at that point, I'll be asking my guests, my panelists, to take a look five or six years ahead. If you all like 2020, we know hindsight is supposed to be 2020. Clean your glasses and wipe out your contact lenses. Uh, You're going to talk to us about what you predict we would be talking about on this exact topic five or six years from today. But in the meantime, I want to cover one more area here. Um, let's talk about, okay, I have something from Elizabeth I want to bring in. You say the financial close process is about providing information internally as well as externally. It's not only about compliance. You want to expand this for us, Elizabeth, and then we'll give some time to Wendy and Gabe as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the stakeholders in the close process, that everybody automatically just thinks, okay, well, we need to record with the SEC. We need to we need to comply, right? We need to meet these regulations. Now, for me, that's yes, that's a huge part of it, but <clears throat> it's not the only part of it. And you need to think about your your stakeholders who are out there are not just your stockholders. The stakeholders are going to be internal people as well who are going to need to do the analysis. So one of the I from a consolidation standpoint, and the simplest way of a consolidation is it's an aggregation of data, right? So you take all your different entities and you add it all together. Granted there's more involved in that adjustments and all those different kinds of things. But in the simplest aspect, it's an aggregation game, right? So you're collecting all the information. But the value isn't just getting to that aggregated annual report that's that's out there. The value comes from being able to disaggregate that information. And that's more points towards your internal stakeholders. So if the end of the day, I give you an annual report, but I can't get any, give you any sort of analysis on it, then, you know, then it, then it just loses its, its value, I would say. So it's a, it's a key part. Thank you. Wendy Reinitz at Performance Analytics. Thoughts on what Elizabeth just contributed? Yes, I agree with what Elizabeth is saying. I mean, obviously, your your MDNA is really your management reporting, and that supports your financial statements. And really, that's where everything gets built up from. Um, when you have commentary coming in from executives all over your your entity, you need to really be able to pull in that management side to be able to discuss it, and then in turn, it needs to support your actual financial close. So, yes, a lot of people are reading financial statements, not just not just the regulatory bodies, but um, other people out there who are looking at investing in your company. If you can't get down to that actual analysis at the detailed level in your financial statements, then you haven't really got to where you need to go. Wendy, I want to bring in one comment here. Gabe, I'm going to get your comments too. But Wendy, there was one more talking point I wanted to cover. I think it's related to what we're on. Uh, you quoted uh, findings of Deloitte. It's 84% of finance managers admitted they find it difficult to control the quality of financial data across the entire reporting cycle. So talking about stakeholders and control, how does this relate to what well, you want to bring this into what we just discussed? Well, yeah, and that actually takes it one step farther, and I think the, the mm-hmm. biggest reason for that is because there's a lot of systems out there that support the close as well. So if you don't have great system integration, then it's really hard to take control of the actual close process. So when there is a lot of integration uh, or a lot of systems out there that are supporting your actual financial close, it's hard for managers to actually really be on top of each and every single 
um, system. So I think it goes back to um, what Elizabeth talked about, about automation. You know, how do we get these different systems automated in here so that we can actually rely on them? And right now, um, in a lot of organizations, you don't just see one system of record. There's, there's many systems building it up that actually make up that management reporting. Thank you, Wendy. Gabe Zubazaretti, you want to take us up to break? Talk to me. Sure. So the uh, so no disagreement on that. So I'm going to move up just a little level here and say mm-hmm. the whole reason for management reporting is to allow people to improve the business. So the management reporting lets us understand what's going on in the business and make decisions on resource allocation and, and, and all that. So that's really from a process improvement or from a from a corporate improvement point of view. The problem is, is that that crashes in with this whole compliance thing. So then people say, well, but we've got to do compliance, compliance, and, and the accounting function becomes the, the, the policeman, the, the, the compliance side of this. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, we've got all these changes coming. So what we need to find a way is a way to be able to add the process improvement value, manage the change coming in, and make it the compliance less of a burden. We've been doing these three things apart as three different, three different um, activities per se. And so the, the, the improvement part and the, the value add has been kind of separated from the, hey, there's a change and we've got to react to it now, and that's been very reactionary. And then the compliance has kind of been an overlay that, that actually kind of slows everything down. We're going to step back and say, how do we do process improvement while being agile towards the changes, while improving and making the compliance less of a burden? And those three things are something that we've got to learn to do at the same time because they're becoming so so intertwined, but also we're getting hit from all three sides um, that we have to figure out how to do that. And that's really what we spend time with, with companies doing is saying, listen, if you keep reacting to one and the other, it's kind of like when they repave the road near your house and then all of a sudden you see somebody cutting into it to lay a new sewer line and then somebody else comes in and, 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 and digs a circle to fix something. And you're going, you just laid the road and now you've got people cutting into it for other things. We've got to coordinate these things so that somebody's changing the sewer line right before they go to pave it and making sure that the, that the other access points they need aren't needing to be done afterwards. And that, that's, a tough, that's a tough need because we used to be able to kind of do them separately, and now they're coming at us so quickly that we've got to be able to do them all at the same time. Thank you, Gabe. Um, I got hoarse all of a sudden. This is Bonnie. We're going to go to a break. We're going to come back with the predictions round, and I'll get my voice back. I'm talking to Wendy Reinitz, <clears throat> Gabe Zuberzaretta, and Elizabeth Milne. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial. Out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's Risk and Finance Solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com from the boardroom to you voice america business network welcome back to financial excellence with game changers presented by sap comments questions send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO now let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers here we are and the question of the day is our financial closing and reporting keeping up with the pace of change are they racing to the close and is this what's keeping up your CFO awake at night or the financial person in charge talking today to Wendy Reinitz at Performance Analytics Gabe Zubazaretta at Silicon Valley Accountants and Elizabeth Millen at SAP we're now up to our predictions round and we're going to kick this off with Wendy Reinitz I'm going to give you two minutes Wendy fast forward five or six years at your pleasure what do you think will or won't be keeping the CFO, etc., awake at night regarding financial close? Go. Well, I think that in five or six years from now, um, there's obviously going to be still changing regulations that are going to be keeping people up at night. And I think that this is all coming in into play with, with the new accounting standards that are being introduced. So um, in five or six years, you know, automation should be key. Um, system integration should be key. Once we address those types of things, I think that, you know, the close is going to go a lot smoother. We talked a little bit about, you know, CFOs coming in and, um, you know, leading things as they are. That can no longer happen. CFOs need to lead the charge on this if they want to be able to sleep at night. So they need to take responsibility. They need to get into the weeds. And if they don't have the time, then they certainly need to make sure that it happens underneath their watch because ultimately, in today's day and age, they are responsible for their financial reporting. And I don't think that's going to change in five or six years. So in a utopian world, things are going to get more streamlined, um, in my opinion. Wendy, let's talk a little bit about training. I want to take a little more time for your predictions. Do you think training will help as far as what's happening in the MBA level, in the college level, in people who really, really, really seriously want to do this for a living? Do you think there'll be more insight and hindsight and foresight in the next five years where they'll come out of college and, and their MBAs better trained? What do you, and, the, and, of course, out of their degrees. Will they be better training or will it, we still be where we are today? There has to be better training. I know that, um, you know, up in Canada, we are certainly um, amalgamating our designations, and with that, the ed- educational program is changing as well. 
So as education programs um, change, they have to look at what the needs are in today's business. So they have to change in order to make this happen. There isn't going to be any way around it. Um, so yeah, I look to in MBAs and I and I see you know the requirements changing and I see designations changing. So this has to be something that happens to support this. And I think it is happening. It's just taking a little bit little bit of time, as as all good things do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what would be the personality traits of the person coming up through the education process who would be very successful in working with or aspiring to become a CFO working on financial close, Wendy? Well, you think it would be easy in today's um, world. You know, you look at kids who jump on iPhones and at very early ages and they adapt to technology quite openly. But for whatever reason, it's the bringing the two together. I don't know if it's a right brain, left brain um, mm-hmm. scenario or, or what it is. But it's just it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, right now we see there's a special type of person that can be a business analyst and that can bridge that that IT accounting world, and we just need to, to make sure that those kinds of roles, if they're brought in at a younger age, if technology is more adhered to at a younger age, then, then people will adapt to it eventually. Thank you, Wendy. Great insights. Gabe Zubazaretta at Silicon Valley Accountants. I'll give you two minutes for your predictions, and you can do your own, and you can also touch on some of the questions I asked Wendy. Please go ahead. Okay. So the close is actually kind of interesting because the definition of the close is everything that hasn't been addressed. So as soon as we automate something and it's, it's, you can push a button and it's all done, then people don't consider it part of the close and it's kind of the close colloquially is everything that we haven't addressed. Um, we have a lot of changes coming and so we're always going to have a lot of changes coming and the more changes we have coming, the more things are going to happen. Who knows if Bitcoin uh, virtual currency is going to affect accounting coming forward? Who knows if we're going to go to this uh, unified global taxing system uh, and those types of things. So unfortunately in five to six years, we'll still have challenges. We will have dealt with a lot of today's challenges and a lot of tomorrow's challenges will be in the accounting close um, because it's, that's just the nature of it. We've been dealing with the accounting close Columbus was probably dealing with the accounting clothes as he was coming across. <laughs> I'm sure he was dealing with all kinds of other clothes. Uh, okay, anything else you want to add, Gabe? I can give you another minute or so. Sure. Um, I do I do completely agree that, that we'll do better training. Um, I think that the, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of focus on there um, as we realize that, that the length of time people are spending in their careers and, and that stuff uh, um, just necessitates us having to do better training. The speed of change, the antidote to change is education. And, and what you need to do is, is really focus on that education. Um, we're dealing with change management as an episodic, and it really needs to be something that we deal with on a, um, on a continuous basis. We, uh, we need to make it a core competency. So you're going to see change management be something that people have to deal with on their own all the time, and we're going to have to take that out of something. Same thing with education. Education, we're dealing with specific event-based trainings and those things. We're going to need to move that into a, into a process, into a continual process, and down to a core competency. Um, clients that we work with, we agree on monthly education plans. Um, we break it down from mm. annual goals into monthly, and everybody in the department works on something every month. We agree on monthly improvement plans. Uh, we agree on, on being able to be anticipatory and agile towards change. Um, because we're just going to be getting hit with more and faster change. Mm-hmm. And so these things are changing from being things that used to be once every so often types of things to now things that we've got to kind of drip in and make them part of the ongoing process. 
Um, so from that perspective, we're going we're gonna to see that we're going to make great advances towards this. Um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the world is going to become that much more dynamic, that much more interesting, and we'll be talking in five or six years about the new change dilemmas. Maybe our CFO will become an insomniac or something to that extent. <laughs> Gabe, I need to cut you off, and I need to give Elizabeth 90 seconds because we're almost out of time. Thank you, Gabe. Elizabeth, predictions, go. Um, I'm going to build on what Wendy was saying and talking about the, the kids who are playing with the iPhones these days. I think that mm-hmm. those people, as they grow up and get into business, that they, there's certain expectations that people have of software and systems and, and technology. And so the two big things in the technology world are mobility and the cloud. And finance is probably one of the laggards as far as it comes to that kind of technology change. But it's coming, and I think within the next five years, we're going to see more mobility and have more on, on the cloud, more hosted systems that are out there as well. I think finance has really pushed back on it quite a bit just from a security standpoint that do you want to have all of your accounting data because obviously it's very um, confidential a lot of the time. So people aren't necessarily all that comfortable putting it up in a cloud and almost seeming like you're giving it away. But I think that as people become more and more comfortable, that that's going to turn around as well too. So I think that the mobility, being able to pull up financial reports and results on your iPad and, and do collaboration and go back and forth, it's it's the technology is there now. I think it's the adoption within the finance organization that's <clears throat> definitely going to change over the next uh, five years. I, I think that the, the last thing is also with that technology, There's a people have been talking about the real-time close for a while. I mean, it's, it's, things need to get done in order to close the books, but if you can get those, those processes so things you don't have to wait until the end of the month in order to get these things done. I think that that's moving it more towards where you'll just be doing reporting and, and it not necessarily have to wait until the, the end of the month to be able to get good visibility into exactly what you're what you're. Thank you, Elizabeth. I have to close the show talking about closings. I'll just abbreviate (laughs) very quickly because i got about 10 seconds here. Tomorrow is Tuesday. That means it's HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon. Of course, Wednesday's Coffee Break. Thursday is Future of Business. Thursday afternoon, Startup Focus. And next Wednesday, next Monday, we're back here again with Financial Excellence. Thank you, Wendy Reinitz. Thank you, Gabe Zubazaretta. Thank you, Elizabeth Mill. Wonderful panel. Great conversation. Shout out to Chris Grundy. Thank you for tweeting at CFO Knowledge. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you tomorrow morning right here on the Business Channel on HR Trends with Game Changers. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. 